0: happy monday everyone welcome to roughly polished we're your hosts
1: i'm jillian and i'm lily and this week is the first week of july which means it's a science episode Woo-hoo. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> today we'll be covering a topic that is quite intriguing and that is the science of language yeah so question of the day okay if you could learn any language what language would it be and why
0: good question <laughs> i have two answers okay um one for practical reasons and one for because it sounds cool reasons okay sure um so for the one that's practical i would love to learn sign language
1: oh cool
0: yeah that'd be very useful for my job Uh but also i think we underestimate how many people who are deaf or hard of hearing or use sign language Mm -hmm. just out and about always Um, So I think it'd be really cool to be able to communicate with them.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, A cool language I would love to learn is German.
1: German? Why German? (laughs) Because it just sounds cool. Yeah? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I know. uh,
0: It's a a niche interest that I have. For
1: sure. Yeah. German. German. (laughs) It just sounds cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Definitely. Thank you. That's so drastically different from English, too.
0: Exactly. Yeah. yeah.
1: Very diverse. Yes. Mm-hmm. How about you?
0: What language would you love to okay, learn? Okay,
1: okay, 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 yeah, okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I only speak one language. Mm-hmm. It's pretty boring. I am only fluent in English, and I don't even know if I consider myself fluent. <laughs> 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 but sadly, I am not bilingual. Um, so I can communicate in like conversational spanish i used to tutor spanish actually (gasps) exciting um so that was fun i am decent at spanish and i feel like it would be so useful to be fluent at spanish because Mm. so many countries speak it yeah you know like so many people speak spanish Mm -hmm. so that would be a good one to learn yes um tagalog obviously because like i don't know ancestral <laughs> value i guess <laughs> um yeah and i just would like to learn more about my culture because i am second gen mm-hmm. so i think it would be super cool to learn the language and there's this whole thing too with like older generation filipinos that they um sort of look down on people who don't speak tagalog mm. Which I think is kind of not good. <laughs> <laughs> um, not to say that I would learn it because of that, but I do think that it would be a good thing to learn. Oh, you know what I would want to learn? Ooh, yes. my grandparents' dialect. Oh, yeah. yeah. So they spoke a dialect called waray um, and it's, it is from a very specific like part in the Philippines. Mm. Um, they're Visayan, so they have like a different way of speaking there. Um, different vocabulary and whatnot so Ooh. I would want to learn that because it does sound quite different from um, just like regular Tagalog
0: yeah yeah question mm-hmm. even though you don't speak Tagalog yeah um how different does the dialect sound from uh, you uh know, typical t- Tagalog
1: okay so I would say that the dialect sounds a little different in how uh, um the sentences flow. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's really nice. interesting to me because I think the intonation is a little bit different, the rhythm in which they speak is a little bit different. Oh. Um and pronunciation is slightly different as well. Got it. So it's kind of difficult I think if you have neither heard or if you're not familiar with either language, mm-hmm. um it would probably be kind of difficult to pick apart one from the other. Great. But yeah, I mean, you know what's weird is I heard it all the time with my grandparents speaking it but I never picked up on any of it really so I was it sounded so foreign to me it Mm. still sounds super foreign to me like I have no inkling of what is going on in that conversation (laughs) but I know how to identify that as like a Tagalog or as um you know
0: (laughs) the dialect got Mm -hmm. it Yeah.
1: yeah so I don't know I wonder why maybe I just wasn't exposed enough to it um, cause like I would see my grandparents on weekends growing up, but I wasn't constantly around it, you know? Yeah. So maybe if I were, was constantly around it, then I would be able to pick up on more meaning and, um, like significance of what they were saying. Yeah. As opposed to just sounds. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Because the only reason why I'm bilingual in mm-hmm. Japanese and English was because I only spoke Japanese at home and mm. only spoke English in school. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: Oh, interesting. You know it's another thing with language, too? Hmm. Um, and how what language uh, development is so different for everyone is for gen- generationally, my grandparents didn't teach my parents how to speak Tagalog ah. due to racial factors in America. Oh, yeah. So they didn't want their kids to be discriminated against. So my parents never learned Tagalog, right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting because, uh, like, my dad grew up hearing tagalog all the time because his mm-hmm. parents spoke it right yeah um and family members and everyone but my dad doesn't know a lick of tagalog <laughs> <laughs> whereas my mom um though she also grew up hearing it all the time
0: mm-hmm. my mom
1: can at least understand it oh, okay yeah got it so i wonder what the difference is in a language development uh, um for those two different situations yeah. like how how do you uh, why why do some people acquire that understanding why do some people not yeah that's you know the interesting question i don't know <laughs> i don't know where does that disconnect happen we anyways um in terms of language like what do you think is uh, something that you are interested in i don't know maybe learning about or something that you know about from your job or like like that yeah mm-hmm.
0: so from my job and from going to grad school and doing all the you know ABA stuff right <laughs> um to me when I hear language I think of language as a verbal behavior mm-hmm. um so going off of Skinner or boy Skinner here <laughs> um every human action that we have any organism really um every organism has behavior and for humans language is just another form of behavior hmm. um and according to him we have five different operants of verbal behavior we have manding which just is a motivating operation which just creates motivation for us to say i want something and we get immediate reinforcement f- from that mm-hmm. um tacting is just a description of an environment just saying you know oh, that's a lamp <laughs> and pointing out the lamp um intraverbal is just responding to, from prompts from other people. So saying, you know, say, like, I ask you a question, say, mm-hmm. Jillian, what's this? And you answer, a teddy bear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, echoic behavior is repetition of verbal behavior of other people around you.
1: Mm.
0: So that, I think that's the main reason, main way that kids learn languages is just repeti- repetition and repeating behavior, verbal behavior they hear from adults. Mm-hmm. Um, and then autoclictic is a modification of o- Whichever of the other four, basically. I see. Yeah.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: Question. Yeah. So,
1: <laughs> let's say we have a compound sentence and it's something like, I want, uh, uh, let's say, let's say, <laughs> let's say, let's say, let's say. Okay. It's <laughs> something like, I think I want to go to the store. Yeah. Right? At what point do you separate that? from being manding, right? Because mm-hmm. it's a motivation, it's I want. Yeah. Um compared it to, to I don't know, like an in introverbal where you're responding to someone after they ask that. So if you yeah. say, "Oh, what do you want?" and I say, "I think I want to go to the store." That's manding. Yes. It's introverbal because it's interacting with what you're saying, right? Yes. And then is that also autoclictic? Yes. So like okay my question is <laughs> yeah do they have to be one or the other in terms of the operands or can they overlap
0: they can definitely overlap like your example um mm. uh, manding to go to the store um i the term i think i want is mm-hmm. autoclictic because it's a modification of a mand mm-hmm. um and if I ask you beforehand, if I'm like, hey, Jillian, where do you want to go today? And you mm-hmm. say, I think I want to go to the store. Mm-hmm. Then that's intraverbal because you're responding to a prompt that I gave you.
1: I see. I see, I see. Yes. Okay.
0: So it could be a combination of all, some, or just one I of see. the operants. Um, mm. But that's just the five basic kind of modes of verbal behavior, according to Skinner.
1: Interesting. Okay. So... Follow-up question. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) What is the point of categorizing it into five different operants Mm -hmm. if they overlap anyways? Um,
0: It depends on... So, for me, applied behavior analysis, I'm applying what I know to children with autism. Right. Um, So, teaching them different ways to mand for Mm -hmm. different functions of behavior. Um, Because every behavior, there are only four functions... Um, sensory escape, attention, and tangible. Mm-hmm. Um, so, manding f- for attention instead of you know screaming in the store for attention. Mm-hmm. Manding, saying, you know, hey, mom, like look at me or something. That's manding for attention, which is more appropriate than screaming, right? Yeah. Um, so, f- kind of differentiating into the five different categories is just more convenient for us to be able to teach a learner how to use verbal behavior in order in, for their everyday life. All right. <laughs> Thank you for that clarification. Of course. <laughs> um, and other things that I'm kind of interested in. Um, oh, I just want to quick- quickly say that, you know, some people don't have verbal language, mm-hmm. even though they might comprehend it. And I think... Learning about sign language, for example, and um, sometimes for um, kiddos that we work with who are non-vocal or Mm non-verbal, we use something called PECs, which stands for Picture Exchange Communication System, where they will, we have you know a visual um, of a a different picture of all the things that they know and like, Mm -hmm. and they could just you know pick a picture that they want and hand it to us. Say it's like you know cereal they can pick a picture of cereal and hand it to me. And that's a very functional way of communicating for Mm -hmm. people who don't have verbal behavior. So I think that's another alternative language that I find really interesting um, compared to verbal Mm -hmm. language, um, which I think is really important to differentiate because there are a lot of people who are non-vocal or Mm -hmm. non-verbal. But anyway, but other things I want to learn about you know language acquisition for people who already know one language yeah for like second languages yeah. i think that'd be super cool oh my gosh what <laughs>
1: yeah no that just makes me wonder like if you are learning a second language later in life
0: mm-hmm.
1: how does your understanding of that language uh differentiate from someone who is learning that language earlier in life mm. so let's say it's still their second language but they're learning it um, due to it being, like you said, an environmental factor. So mm-hmm. if you're learning English as your second language at school, right. Right, but you're still learning it at a very early developmental age, mm-hmm. how does that differ from someone's understanding of that language if they are learning that language way later on in life and they've already built a conceptual understanding of the world and the things that they're identifying through that language? Right. Wild. Interesting. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> what brain structures would be implemented in that? I don't know. Yeah, it's all you, man. (laughs) I mean, maybe all me, but (laughs) do I know the answer?
0: No. but we can find out eventually yes ma'am yeah oh another thing that i think you might find interesting Mm -hmm. while i was looking up some language verbal behavior things on the google Mm -hmm. um was a scientist by the name of noam chomsky i don't know if you've heard of him
1: i remember his name from like a high school psychology class (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) but he kind of proposed this question um asking if we're born with the ability to learn languages Mm. um because he's suggesting that children have the innate ability to already know nouns and verbs and how to put them together they just need to learn the exact words for them what yeah (laughs) but putting the the sentences together that's already an innate ability that we all have he's saying
1: i see so by that okay clarification
0: yeah (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> By that, does he mean that uh, um, you're able to hear a word and understand, yes, this is a person place, her thing, or yes, this is an action?
0: I think he just means we have the innate ability to create st- sentence structure um, as babies. We just need to learn the exact oh. words for the noun that we see and the action and verb for it. Oh. Yeah. Okay.
1: But, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: But our boy Skinner says that behavior language is a behavior reinforced by one's environment, so mm-hmm. we don't necessarily have that ability. But I thought that was an interesting uh-huh. debate. I see.
1: Okay. Yeah. My understanding yeah. is that it's both.
0: Oh, fine. So,
1: (laughs) what I mean by that is that, um, specifically, I think there is uh, research on this by Dean Falk. Um, But they basically argue that, uh, from my understanding, um, language is something that is acquired uh, from uh, a very early age, Mm -hmm. right? And uh, that's something that is sort of dependent on an interaction between a an adult and an infant mm. right so babies will pick up language from their environment which is yes sort of like a skinner right right um, and that's sort of I guess a learned behavior but at the same time there's also components to that behavior that the baby is learning mm. so that might be a little bit uh, more aligned with Chomsky's ideals mm. so what I mean by that is that babies will listen to what someone is saying right mm-hmm. and uh we know there's this certain way that parents talk to their babies or, like make their voices super high pitch <laughs> and they'll say things like you want you want an orange <laughs> you know they'll up pitch the last part of their sentence or their overemphasized words mm. um they'll i don't know like uh, pronounce things a specific way uh, yeah. when they're talking specifically to babies. Yeah. I do it also when I'm talking to my dogs. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a common thing, though.
0: Yeah, you have that motherly instinct.
1: Uh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways. <laughs> um so uh, parents will uh, sort of talk to their babies in a specific way and uh, the term for that is mother Reese. Mm. um I, yeah who knew there was a term for it yeah not me until I learned <laughs> about it <laughs> um yeah but it's called motherese. um they talk to their babies in different voices and the baby is paying attention to those little aspects of that sort of behavior of language mm. so the baby will pick up on things like a fluctuation in your voice they'll pick mm. up on things like intonation um how what you are emphasizing specific parts of a sentence so let's say if i'm asking a baby a question like are you hungry right mm-hmm. i'm gonna up pitch the last part of that sentence To emphasize that it's a question. Whereas if I'm upset with the baby, I'm like.
0: What do you say when you're upset with a baby, Julian? Why are you crying? Oh <laughs> uh, gosh!
1: <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't say that to babies. <laughs> anyway, yeah. if you have a different emotion that you're trying to convey to a baby, obviously that's going to sound different, right? <laughs> so, different parts of that sentence are going to be emphasized, um, and the baby will understand that as. A different kind of sentence. Not mm. a question, maybe more a statement, maybe more um, a command, right? Mm. Um, and that's a, kind of one of the first things that that baby is going to pick up on. Another thing is also uh, um, when you're trying to teach a baby how to identify a certain object, mm-hmm. they're not associating word with object. Mm-hmm. They're associating how you are interpreting that object, they're associating how you're conveying what that object is, right? Mm. So if I say, okay, hello, baby, this is an (laughs) orange... Right? And I say, oh, look at this orange. Mm -hmm. It's an orange, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to listen to how I'm saying it. They're going to listen to how that word sounds. They're going to look at the color of what I'm holding. They're going to look at how I'm holding it, what I'm doing with that object, Mm -hmm. um, how I feel and my facial expressions toward that object. All of those little context clues are things that are going to create that baby's understanding of what that object is as Mm -hmm. opposed to associating just word. With objects.
0: Got it. You know, so yeah. if I
1: just say orange, that baby's not gonna be like, oh yeah, that's a fucking orange. A <laughs> orange. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> the baby is going to understand um, how you are conveying that orange. Right. Yeah. And so that is sort of the way that that baby is able to build that schema of their understanding.
0: Yeah, we have to make it reinforcing. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> sure.
1: I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> just, you know, encouraging a behavior. Ah yeah right? to yeah, make yeah, it yeah. yeah, making it more fun to encourage verbal behavior
1: exactly, yeah, yeah, um so uh, it's weird that I don't know Chomsky's uh, argument is that they're knowing uh, verbs from nouns from all these different things, right? because yeah. to a certain extent, I suppose we are able to kind of intrinsically understand what um an object versus an action is, mm-hmm. but uh, I personally think that that is because of how we're conveying it and what that significance is being represented as, right. as opposed
0: to um, purely syntactical representation. Right. I think, you know, um, what he meant, what he said was a baby would know who mom is mm-hmm. typically, um, and then if she runs, he's saying that the baby would be able to put together mom runs together, mm. you know, as you know, mom and then an action. I see. Yeah. Which I thought was interesting. So
1: then, uh, how would the approach be different with um, Skinner's approach?
0: Skinner just suggests that um, wh- by the way we teach children ver- like verbal language, mm-hmm. um, we have to associate oh this action is running and give it giving it a word, and then teaching the child oh this is mom and then this action is called running. So mom is the person who is running rather than just letting the you know I. He's just saying that the child wouldn't necessarily understand to put these two, this person with this action together, mm-hmm. like the way that Chomsky is suggesting. Ah, uh,
1: yeah. Ah, uh, I see. So Chomsky is more individual in understanding, yeah. whereas um, whereas Skinner is more collective in understanding. Yes. Yeah, Skinner, Makes sense. yeah.
0: So Skinner just saying you have to teach a kid, and Chomsky is saying. Kate can do it.
1: Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Chomsky's got the humanistic approach, huh?
0: Yeah, I guess so. Interesting.
1: <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. That's wild. I
0: thought that was interesting, and I thought that you would find that interesting, too.
1: Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: What huh. other things about language are you interested in?
1: Okay, so my... Understanding and background knowledge is more so in cognitive evolution. Ooh, Um, exciting. Yeah. So uh, I thought this was like one of the coolest classes that I took because there are no. there's there's no direct evidence of brains obviously because they'll decay and rot and yeah <laughs> we don't have we don't have uh, fossils of freaking brains <laughs> but we do have fossils of skulls and things like tools mm. and uh, <laughs> things from uh, uh you know like uh utilization and whatnot so it's so cool because even though we don't have any evidence of brains directly mm-hmm. um and what structures were developed and uh, all the things like that we are able to draw conclusions based on uh, the other evidence that we have
0: oh yeah exciting. so
1: um another thing uh, like i mentioned uh, by falk who is a uh, they they wrote an article called "Prelinguistic evolution and early homonyms um, where they talk about Motherese, Reese, uh, that same article, they talk about this whole hypothesis of putting the baby down. Mm. Um, and what that means is that uh, the approach that they take to figuring out how language developed um, is that they look at it in a more a perspective that highlights that language is uh, sort of um brought about by the need for communication between a mother and a child mm. and so uh, if we look at evidence um of uh, you know different primates and um homo sapiens and the evolution of humans <laughs> 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 they have uh, less hair um they have uh, you know different bone structure there's bipedalism that arose um, you know, b- babies are no longer able to grab onto their mothers like uh, we see with I don't know chimps or we see with different primates. Yeah. Um, you know, they grab onto their mother's fur and they're able to hold on for themselves. Right. Whereas uh, with humans, um, and uh, hominins, and uh, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> evolutionarily, we're able to see that hair. Um, it is uh, no longer, and we become more skin mm. right? And so babies are no longer able to hold on to their mothers, and so that sort of creates this separate distance. There's this physical distance that's created between a baby and a mother
0: right
1: um, and with that, we also see uh, around the same time uh, evidence of tools being utilized. so things like uh, different shaped stones that they use to uh, cut food. Um, maybe sticks that are shaped a certain way to start fires. Mm. Um, you know, different things used to catch game and uh, um, hunt animals. Mm-hmm. Um, with that, uh, bipedalism as well, because they're able to walk on two feet and utilize their hands for those tools. Mm. That also is indicative of... Indicative? Indicative. <laughs> <laughs> um, i was talking a little faster than my brain was moving um it's also indicative of uh, humans uh, um you know having to utilize those things and you can't obviously hold a baby and I don't know, cut a piece of meat at the same time, right? You got to put the baby down at some point. I mean, you can try. (laughs) Might be a little dangerous, though. (laughs) (laughs) Right? So there's that whole concept of putting a baby down, the mom going and uh, fending for herself and the baby, uh, trying to catch and hunt and things like that. Um, and the baby's need to communicate for safety. Mm. So if something is out here trying to attack the baby, obviously the baby is going to cry. Right. If the mother is trying to figure out where she left the baby, <laughs> obviously the mother is going to make some noises too. <laughs> right? Maybe the mother will cry. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that whole need for communication between the mother and the baby um, for safety reasons. And with that as well, as we see that as the utilization of tools becomes more prominent, we know that implementing those tools and being able to think, oh, I'm going to shape this piece of wood so that it can cut through meat or I'm going to chip away at this stone so that I can throw it at something and it'll kill it. That requires this higher level uh, hierarchical processing Mm -hmm. in uh, cognition. And if we're able to see that level of processing in tool utilization... Why can't we have that also in speech? Ooh. Right? Yeah. Those two things sort of develop, we're presuming at a a similar rate and one maybe it can affect the other. Mm. Yeah. Wild, right? Interesting. I think it's so cool how we don't have direct evidence of language, but we're able to make assumptions on how it has formed. Yeah. Yeah. That's So. so exciting. I know! I know. (laughs) The whole thing with that is there's also, um, you know, there's an argument. I think King and Shanker um, made a commentary on it when they uh, peer-reviewed. But um, Baby's development of speech is also develop or it's also dependent upon the adult's competency of speech Mm. and so because uh, falk doesn't really address that they were saying okay well if someone is able to develop speech and develop that ability without um a parent uh, present right Mm -hmm. or without an adult that is at that same competency as the others how does that affect the child's understanding of language how does that affect the child's development of language and a child can easily supersede a parent's abilities mm. in terms of language got it so that's something that's also kind of falling through the cracks. Um, that we're trying to figure out, I suppose. But uh, no, interesting nonetheless. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah man, it's just uh, oh god, cognitive evolution just gets me so excited. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, and there's this whole concept of lateralization as well. Um, that helps us to understand how uh, cognition of language develops. So like I said earlier before, tool use requires sort of that hierarchical um, type of processing and uh, if they have that with tools, why why can't they do that with vocalization combinatorics? And tool use is also it's evidence for that uh, um, lateralization in between your brain. And bilateralization um, what that means is that the left side of your brain is going to control the right side of your body, right? Mm. Right side of your brain is going to control the left
0: side of your body. Yeah, I was going to ask what that word meant. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So a lot of the tools that
1: we have fossils for, Mm. um, particularly Acheulean and Mausterian period, um, those tools, the way that they're shaped are right hand tools. Ah. And so we can make the assumption that because they are right hand tools, Mm -hmm. um, those early hominids were using uh, their right hands for dexterity, Mm -hmm. which means that the left side of their brain was more developed. Right. And now in current research and uh, with dissections and things that we're able to understand now with the brain, um, we know that the areas responsible for language and language processing and comprehension Mm -hmm. and output are located in the left side of your brain. Ooh. So that could be evidence that um, tool use was very much a mediator for language to develop. Um, because if we see that lateralization, then that's possibly indicative of that lateralization in terms of language as well. And maybe that's why that's located on that side of your brain.
0: Ooh. Why Wild. <laughs> and I'm, I'm wondering, um, because some people are left-handed. Right. Um, I'm wondering if there's any language developmental differences between people who are right and left-handed.
1: Oh, my gosh. Maybe. Right. That's interesting. Okay. But see, the thing is, no matter whether you're right-handed or left-handed, mm-hmm. the language uh, part of your brain is still going to be on the left side. Yeah. But so I
0: think... I don't know if I interpreted what you said incorrectly, but if you know you're stronger with your right hand and developing your the left side of your brain, mm-hmm. like a little bit more, a little bit stronger than compared to one a person who's left-handed, uh-huh. then would there be a difference in language development or understanding?
1: I don't know, but okay. you know what might be a difference. Hmm is uh, the amount of communication going on between the two hemispheres. Ah. Uh, yeah. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> so let's say someone is more left-hand uh, coordinated. Right. Maybe there's more communication going on between their left hemisphere, mm-hmm. which is uh, um, language-associated, and right. the right hemisphere.
0: Got it. Where
1: that uh, brain region is controlling their left side of their body.
0: Yeah. Wild. I
1: never thought about that. <laughs> That's wild. Interesting hmm, Cool. Anyways, if anyone knows the answer to that,
0: <laughs> Hit us up. Let us know. Slide yeah. into our DMs.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, another thing that we can see as evidence for language development is um, the articulatory apparatus. Ooh. And so if we look at fossils, um, we can see that the roof of the mouth, and all the way to the f- what's called the foramen magnum. Basically, it creates a resonating chamber, um, and the foramen magnum is where the spinal cord enters your brain. And so we can also see that the tongue is dropped, um, and this is seen in Homo erectus, Homo sapiens, um, Homo neanderthalis, um, and also the thoracic spine column is narrower and it widens over time so as we Mm -hmm. go from homo erectus to homo sapiens we can see that that spinal column gets wider and wider and we can presume that this is possibly for more uh, innervation of the lungs um, which has to do with things like breath control maybe it's an adaptation for Um, cardio exercises like walking and running and um, maybe even breath control for speech and uh, like i said before with bipedalism as uh, they became uh, more and more reliant on just two legs for walking and two hands for tool use um, that obviously will have an effect on how the lungs are developed um, more innervation for lungs more use for cardio Uh, more breath control, and we can see that as, uh, maybe classify it as an exaptation, and uh, exaptation is when something changes uh, for a particular adaptation, so in this case, it would be for those cardio activities, Um, but it also, in turn, serves another um, adaptation and facilitates that adaptation form, so maybe... Maybe, maybe. <laughs> that whole concept of bipedalism and uh, um, the lungs being able to expand and uh, more breath control, maybe that uh, facilitated the um, the use of language and Ooh. allowed for that development yeah. as well. That would be so, interesting. I don't know. I don't know. It's all just very, very PC but it's like a puzzle. You just look at these different artifacts and you're like, you know what? Maybe. Maybe <laughs> this led to something else. Yeah,
0: you gave us strong Ross vibes. Then. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ross is my least favorite character from Friends. He's everyone's least favorite character
0: from <laughs> Friends.
1: And I don't blame them for it because yeah. Ross is freaking annoying but I can see it I see what you mean <laughs> I was giving Ross vibes yeah, no, and no, I, I apologize to our audience no, no, for no, that
0: no. <laughs> no 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 yeah we love learning new things yeah man Yeah, I'm yeah. wondering if the because I'm guessing with the what was it the drop in the tongue so mm-hmm. a bigger aperture in your mouth mm. I wonder if that also kind of um, suggested that maybe like even singing
1: oh like music could be developed because that'd
0: be so interesting to see too like obviously you know vocalizations probably increased i'm wondering if also that entails that singing or even language or not language music was developed during that time too
1: definitely
0: okay you got something for me
1: yes so um i wrote a commentary on this article and it's something that I was wondering um, when I was writing the commentary on the Falk article mm-hmm. is that it mentions that laughter and musical stimuli um, activate the same area of your brain.
0: Wow. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is
1: so wild to me. And it makes me wonder, um, like, how what, Are we able to communicate different messages with laughter and with music? And what um, brain regions associated with each respective one are being implemented in reaction to that? So let's Mm -hmm. say both of those things will activate a certain brain region. Mm -hmm. Let's say with laughter, it'll affect one brain region and then that'll be passed on to another. Mm -hmm. Is that other brain region that it's passed on to different from a musical stimulus? Uh. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) But I want to know. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. 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 I don't know.
0: Because the way that we create different tones and intonation with our voice is by the aperture, the space between our tongue and the roof of our mouth. Right. So if that's getting bigger, then there has to be you know more room to create different you know intonations so that'd be really cool to see you know homo erectuses (laughs) recti
1: this might have to be flagged for explicit content Uh,
0: most of our episodes are
1: (laughs) i don't know yeah. another thing that branches off of that mm-hmm. is that we are able to create that musical stimulus on our own through mm-hmm. vocal inflection right? right and vocal control yeah but how does that differ from a musical stimulus that's created through an instrument
0: mm. oh <laughs> interesting yeah
1: wild right yeah because for both laughter and music there are Um, involuntarily induced emotional stimuli
0: got it right yeah
1: so if we're trying to utilize our own anatomy um, and create that resonance within our own vocal chambers Mm -hmm. in terms of emotional stimulus how does that differ from something that is created through an instrument
0: right Oh,
1: interesting, uh, hmm, hmm. yeah. Ponderings,
0: merely ponderings.
1: No. Yeah, oh, another thing that yeah. I am curious about is uh, the effects on language into attachment theory, too, because oh. that's something that I'm also really interested in. Yeah, um, so we see that uh, with attachment theory, um, they're okay, people's attachment. Is uh, shaped by communication styles with their parents right mm-hmm. so let's say if someone has a super affectionate parent maybe that person will become more physically affectionate right and they will have that kind of attachment with people they will have that sort of love language mm-hmm. um the end uh, we can also extend this into things like if a parent is uh, maybe kind of overbearing then that will affect how that child approaches relationships socially Uh right (laughs) or if a parent is not as involved maybe the child will feel less inclined to be involved with social relationships Mm -hmm. or have difficulty forming those so all of these different aspects of attachment theory are also kind of language um language dependent as well and so i don't know it's a it's interests me it, it's mm, it mm-hmm. interests me to see how language development um plays into how people are able to form relationships based on their understandings of language and their understandings of um communication of emotion. Yeah, that you know? would
0: have to do a lot with connotations. With oh, languages. absolutely absolutely yeah and i'm i don't know how you would measure that Mm -hmm. because that if you were to do a study on this that'd be a lot of trying to measure i guess even just the weight of a certain connotation of a word yeah you know definitely that'd be a very interesting study to to conduct
1: yeah and uh, furthermore it could quite possibly be a way to relate speed um and uh, maybe even complexity of language development mm. with attachment style so uh, if uh, this child is around uh, someone who is more vocal mm-hmm. and they're able to uh, um i don't know develop a, a greater understanding of those uh, vocal skills mm-hmm. um and also a greater implementation of those vocal skills does that have an effect on how i suppose um uh, Hmm, what's the right word i'm looking for here that won't be offensive <laughs> does that have an effect on how uh for be- <laughs> lack of better wording competent a person is in a relationship mm. based on how expressive they're able to be right huh
0: interesting huh huh Huh? <laughs> Wild. Yeah. Oh, I have an update for the pod. Oh, sure. Uh, update so, the pod. Yeah. Oh, because updates. last time we talked about attachment theory, I didn't right. take the test oh, for attachment theory. Right. Yeah, but I took the test for attachment theory. What was the result? I uh, I have a preoccupied attachment style. What does that mean? <laughs> it just means. <laughs> so off of google (laughs) it's saying that super
1: reliable source super
0: reliable source um adults with an anxious preoccupied attachment style may have difficulty trusting others they may worry about being rejected making trust a lot to ask other signs may include abandonment issues craving closeness and intimacy and being dependent in relationships okay yeah (laughs) wow huh so that's my attachment style (laughs)
1: ah do you think it's accurate
0: I think it's pretty accurate, mm-hmm. but I'm also am very, I, I've i always been aware of all the things that I just mentioned, um, but I'm trying to do my best to kind of stray away from all of those an- anxiety written, you know, anxiety mm-hmm. responses when gotcha. it comes to relationships. Mm-hmm um but yeah it's pretty accurate <laughs> i see yeah. wow
1: do you think that was mediated by your upbringing oh 100 percent. okay
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool anyways i have an update for the pod also oh, you do okay yeah apparently i was born in the morning Yay! <laughs> so my birth chart that i mentioned in the last episode yes. should be
0: accurate okay yeah so we were both sagittarius moons still. yes interesting yes Oh. and
1: i have uh, since rediscovered my identity <laughs> so no need to worry everyone it is okay and this is a message to everyone in the future don't worry you'll figure it out <laughs> trust the process <laughs> i am indeed a sagittarius move.
0: <laughs> great Um, that means that we have the same moons which still doesn't make any sense to me
1: (laughs) it makes zero sense but you know what that's fine because astrology is a load of bullshit anyway (laughs) (laughs)
0: yeah anyway that was a fun update
1: (laughs) yeah if anyone is um (laughs) of greater knowledge about any of this than we are please 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 <laughs> interact with us yeah i us want to learn about everything yeah yeah oh also if you can teach me another language that would be cool
0: too <laughs> i know japanese
1: i can learn japanese okay
0: <laughs> cool
1: uh watch out everyone i am on my way to becoming a polyglot so
0: oh those are yeah That's hard. (laughs) How many languages do you need to learn in order to become a polyglot? Good question. Let me see. Okay.
1: Let me Google definition polyglot.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I'm also curious to see why um, Americans don't typically learn second languages as Mm. much as other countries.
1: Okay. You know why I think? Mm. Because first of all we speak english which is like a pretty common yeah language but um americans also have <laughs> the entertainment industry in a chokehold
0: that's so true. Yeah. there's
1: that um so i think also americans th- are kind of uh <laughs> they're kind of arrogant and entitled in the sense that they think that everything should be catered to them oh yeah and so if you have an american tourist visiting another country the american tourist is going to speak english because they're going to expect those people to cater to them yeah whereas if you have another person from another country visiting america that person is going to try and speak english right likely yeah right like uh, (laughs) how often do you see it that someone is coming to America? And then trying to communicate with Americans mm-hmm. in another language. Not very often, right? Nope. I don't know. I think Americans probably uh, assume that they are... Uh, they have such big egos. Yeah. <laughs> I think probably due to the in- entertainment industry, um, because it's so, like, international. Mm-hmm. um And people come to America to pursue it a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah there's that and then also just economic situations as well Mm. um you know america tries to be the superpower america (laughs) you know yeah and so
0: yeah i just wish that more people here had the motivation to learn other languages
1: yeah i agree
0: yeah because i diversify the culture man honestly because i would have loved to learn other languages at an earlier age in school
1: oh I agree completely. Yeah. I think, one, that would have been so good for our brains. Yeah, probably. (laughs) And uh, development and acquisition of other knowledge and skills. Mm -hmm. Um, But also, it's just a cool thing to be able to communicate with people of different cultures. Yeah. And uh, I think in the American school system, they try and... I mean, I suppose this is probably with any other school system. It's very biased to empower america mm. and so they create a very distinct separation between american culture versus everyone else yeah and a big part of that is not teaching languages in schools yeah i don't know that's just a bone i have to fix. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: Oh gosh anyway how many languages do you have to know to become a polyglot
1: okay it doesn't say it just says several several so. okay <laughs>
0: Got if you it. can
1: speak several languages i suppose several is quantified by three or more
0: got it yeah okay
1: yeah because if you only knew two languages that would just be bilingual yeah trilingual would Trilingual. Be yeah quadlingual what <laughs> at what point do you become a polyglot
0: <laughs> doesn't, doesn't poly mean just many right yeah many okay yeah yeah i don't know know.
1: <laughs> oh, many is subjective yeah yeah
0: But yeah, trilingual isn't a word. I can speak pig Latin. (laughs) (laughs) I'm fluent. You're fluent in Latin. Uh Uh-huh. Amazing. So you are bilingual. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Hopefully, you do try to learn another language. Yeah. It's hard, though. It's so hard.
1: But that's the fun of it. Yeah but it's so hard i never shy away from a challenge yeah you're right <laughs> uh, anyways if you like language um follow our podcast <laughs> subscribe to us listen to our language every monday <laughs>
0: good transition there Uh, thank you
1: (laughs) follow us on instagram at roughly polished pod to see more uh, more of our artwork and uh, more (laughs) nonsense honestly (laughs) (laughs) follow us there uh, subscribe to the pod Yeah. DM us if you'd like we'd appreciate it talk to us Yeah. I like talking to people (laughs) and uh, we'll see you next week next week woo cool okay
0: keep it casual bye okay bye (laughs)